Hey, Jason, you know, I was looking at the IMTS site. As a matter of fact, I'm on there right now, and it looks like they're going to be having these awesome educational conferences coming up. I'm looking manufacturing process innovations, additive alternate manufacturing, plant operations, that's a new one, automation robotics, quality, inspection, metrology, and industry 4.0. This is all about educating the future generation and equipping and inspiring the existing baby boomer generation. Yeah, I really think that you can go to IMTS in September and just make a decision at that time based on their education series and say, here are the things that we're going to do in this next year just based on the education you receive from from IMTS. It really can set a manufacturing company up for success in the new year. Yeah, if you have it already, get to imts.com, register. It's September 9th through the 15th, McCormick Place, downtown Chicago. And so you really have to search out where those bottlenecks are in your business. And if you want the biggest bang for the buck, you kill those bottlenecks. All under the guise of continuous improvement on all of these other sorts of fronts, such as just cleaning up the factory and doing things like making it be a great place to work. If the sound of a machine tool removing metal gets your blood pumping, then you are Metal Working Nation. This is Making Chips, where we talk all things metalworking, engineering and design, production and tooling combined with business best practices, technology, marketing, news, and new media for manufacturing professionals. Here are your hosts, business owners, metalworking experts, and guys who get dirty on the factory floor, Jim Carr and Jason Zanger. Now, let's make some chips. Hello, Metalworking Nation. My name's Jason Zenger, and this is Making Chips, where we equip and inspire manufacturing leaders. And I am here at the Digital Manufacturing and Design Innovation Institute with my dear friend and co-host, hey. Jim Carr. How Aww, you doing, Jim? How nice. That was really nice. I'm well. I'm well, thanks. Yeah, we're round two. Yes. We're round and we're two. here back with the um, gentleman from Orbit Forum. Uh, we, we just learned so much that we, we begged them to stay with us and record a, well, we another started a topic. Dis- yeah, we just started a discussion, and we're like, this is really good stuff. The Metalworking Nation needs to to hear this. You know, We need to equip and inspire them with some information that we thought was relevant. So we asked them to hang out with us for a little while longer and get all this good information on uh, on Mike. Yeah, and, and we're going to even bring them into the manufacturing news segment and get their perspective on, on what's going on. But before we even go there, um, I want to talk about what's going on with making chips. Yeah, a lot of, lot of new stuff's coming in a lot 2018. Of, a lot of new stuff is coming, and we, we alluded to this before, but I'm going to drive a stake in the ground, or as um, Phil mentioned earlier, I'm going to burn the boats and say that this is our last interview with the current structure as it relates to making chips. So if you've been used to the the intro and the outro that we have so far, this is the last time that you're going to hear it. So this last interview with Phil and David, um, we're going to have a new making chips coming pretty soon. What do you think about that, Jim? Yeah, as long as you're letting the cat out of the bag, we're going to have a new logo. 
a new website, new music, new structure. We're going to turn it all on its head and see where it goes because we want to keep it fresh and we want to keep it relevant. And we want to make manufacturing fun and we want to continue to elevate, you know, right. just the knowledge and, and the having fun and, and just, you know, really make making chips just that much better. Right. And we're, we're not boring. No, we're not. No. It's all about continuous improvement, and we need to continuously improve making chips um, in order to deliver, you know, just great content for the metalworking nation. You bet. So, what kind of manufacturing news did you uh, dig up? So, th- the one thing that keeps that that continues to come up on the manufacturing news screen is just the new tax reform. Um, yeah, big you deal. You know, I, I think that with this new tax reform, the politicians are, I, I think they're really putting it in our laps to really be a driving force in, in the new economy and to not only create jobs and improve the communities that that we reside in, but also to drive more revenue for for the government. You know, they really see reducing taxes is is actually going to provide more revenue for them directly from the manufacturing industry. I mean, do you do you see that happening in your particular business, Jim or Phil or or David? Well, we're seeing people that are interested in reshoring that uh, this is becoming the tipping point for them to bring manufacturing back to the United States. Now, they want to bring it back and have a certain degree of automation associated with it, assembly automation. That's where we come in, and that's why we hear about it, where 100 jobs might have been doing that work before, and now they want 70 or 65, and they want to invest in their capital side of their business. But, but that, that 70 or 65 jobs, however you want to quantify it, are, are still more than the zero that were on the radar previously, right? Exactly. So, I mean, I, but I think in order for us to just stay relevant as a manufacturing economy, we need to look to that automation for sure. We need to look to digitization in the manufacturing process. I think if we make those investments, which at the onset are going to be less jobs than traditionally, and it's actually going to create more jobs. And, and Jim, we know a little bit about digitization, don't we? We, or we learned something about it, I guess you would say. We were leading an 11-panel discussion in Greenville, South Carolina, just, uh, what, four, five, six weeks ago. We had, what, 10 panelists that were I think experts? there was 11, actually. 11 panelists, yeah, experts. From Microsoft, us. from Mastercam. A lot of high-level leaders were there on that panel giving their their objective of where they think digitization is going to go in the next five years. Quite frankly, I think they were overstretching it a little bit. I don't know, Jim. Oh, that no, remains I to be seen. Were, uh, that re- I don't know. We, we had some of the people that you know actually helped to create MT Connect there. I mean, there, right. were, there was some very right. intelligent people on the board. Yeah, but they were saying you're going to go out of business in five years if, you, if you're not connected. And I if think you're, that... I think that's a stretch. Well, but their threshold was low, so they could be correct in that regard, right. you know? No, it was great. It was empowering. It was I learned a lot from that. All my new machinery and equipment at Car Machine and Tool is going to have that technology in it. I wouldn't well, I would not well, consider great. I'm it. I'm going to push you to become more and more digitized yeah, I mean, and and so you're going to be there. I'll go on so, and I'll say we'll, we'll be have it within 3 years, but well, great. to to say th- to generalize all machine shops and say within five years you better have it or you're going to go out of business. Eh, I don't know. I, th- I think that was a stretch, and I was pretty passionate about pushing back on them when they made that call. 
But uh, well, we're going down so many rabbit holes here, which is which is fine. I mean, that's kind of our style sometimes. But why is it that you cannot um, machine beryllium? I just don't have the experience. I, I mean, I guess I could. It would take us time to ramp, ramp up, up to, to learn okay. how to how to do it. And I, I just don't know if we have the resources at this time to onboard that new, to quote it correctly and all that kind of stuff. Do you think I that mean, there's machining companies out there like yourself that, that specialize in those type niche, of materials? There's niche machine shops across this country that you know do titanium and beryllium and, and any of the exquisite alloys out there. So. Okay, so I'm going to bring it back a little sure, bit. Sure. Do you think that this new tax code is is going, to, this lowering of the tax code is going to result in more revenue for your respective companies and also more revenue for the government um, with the direction that manufacturing is going? Yes and yes. David? I believe a if there's a sentiment that there's a lowering of taxes and if people think that they might have a lower tax burden, um, they're going to be more willing to to invest in other areas. And so that should be a positive. And um, I believe our current administration and our federal government administration leadership under President Trump, I believe they truly believe that we need to be a, co- a country of manufacturers. We need to make things. And I don't think that um, other administrations have made that a priority. And so I think uh, by... Um, reducing corporate taxes and maybe um, having some depreciation incentives and workforce development incentives and those kind of things. Can... Well, and there's a there's a sentiment that's um, building that's a FOMO, you know, a fear of missing out. And some people waited too long. Some people weren't forward-looking. And now all of this uh, tailwinds that are occurring, um, there's going to be a, um, people late to the party but those people that were thinking ahead or whatever and planning these sort of things, they're getting a great shot in the arm. No fear of missing out on what exactly, Phil? Of the economic boom that's going on right now. Okay, by investing in it's manufacturing. Going. It's on. So we talked about before that we're going to see a reiteration of making chips, that we're going to continuously improve making chips. And so let's talk about continuous improvement, the process and the results that you derive from that. So Phil, you were the driving force at a lot of the continuous improvement efforts at Orbit Forum. Tell us about how you arrived at this whole um, continuous improvement initiative. Well, in my previous life, I was a Toyota production system expert or or incorporating that into manufacturing at uh, Aeroquip. And and this is what uh, the metalworking nation needs to understand is it doesn't need to be a huge program. It doesn't need to be, you know, the sophistication of it is uh, you need to boil it down to a simplification is the complexity of it. And we took all the things that were results-oriented and um, things like an action list, accountability, teams, and looking at those things that were frustrations, and we just started to attack them in 2000. And it all started from on all sorts of front, cleaning up the factory, getting rid of waste, you know, why do we have this shelf here? It's just storing junk. And all of the things that were holding us back from old-time manufacturing or just the coziness of it and going for continuously improvement on every front. But a big thing, the underscore was sincere appreciation for our employees. And so we made a commitment not to lay people off because of continuous improvement. That continuous improvement frees up capacity. 
And I'm here standing here today saying that 95 to 98% of the components that go into our assembly equipment that is machined and fabricated is made by our people. And it didn't used to be like that no, um, prior to that. Uh, we had used to probably, outsource a lot. Probably sixty percent outsourced on machining. Sixty percent was outsourced. Outsourced, wow. and probably a hundred percent was outsourced for fabrication. Now we do it all, and so with that, we sit there and, and we're you know we we enjoy the 50 and 60 hour weeks that our folks have that because we do it, everything that we're doing now, we're sitting there trying to figure out how can we do it less for less cost. And so we have this engine inside orbit form. It's just grinding through uh, any of these parts that we have. And, and, and we got through all of that. We get it inside, and now we're really starting to focus on or we have focused on any place that we felt leveraged, any place where the quality was lower. You know, a place that you might consider where we were being leveraged was we had a we have a twin spindle five axis Mazak um, that uh, we had a part on the outside that we were get a foreign part a component, and every time we ordered it, we it was two to three times the lead time and two to three times the price. We now I mean every time you ordered it, they would take two yes. to three time two to three weeks longer, and they would double. No, the- they were doubling the price, doubling the lead <sighs> times. And it was supposed to be getting better, not, you know, they weren't continuously improving. They were not (laughs) continuous. And so we felt leveraged. And so we took the bull by the horns. We reverse engineered it. We tripled the quality on the outcome of what that component does. And now we do it for 40% the cost of what it was. So some of this might sound very overwhelming at the onset for um, somebody that wants to get into a continuous improvement mindset. So how do you actually get started and say, I want to I want to improve the company. What's the, what's the first step that you, that you took or what's the first step that you would recommend a manufacturing company um taking in order to to get into this continuous improvement mindset? It probably doesn't boil down to one singular event and but there's probably three critical ones. One you have to have security for your employees. So they have to know that if they give up that bench if they do this new process, if they make that change, they're still going to be here tomorrow. Um, you know, if they help in the process and, and you're not a resistor to the process. And the other thing is, is that uh, when you read Eliyahu Goldratt's uh, book, The Goal, he talks at length about bottlenecks. And you can look at an hour loss to the bottleneck as an hour loss to the whole manufacturing, your, your whole capability. And so you really have to search out where those bottlenecks are in the in your business and if you want the biggest bang for the buck you kill those bottlenecks and you make it move to another place and then you kill it there all under the guise of continuous improvement on all of these other sorts of uh, fronts such as just cleaning up the factory and doing things like making it be a great place to work okay so that was that was the first one and then what are the um you mentioned that there was another two. Oh well so that was the three, the appreciation for employees, the idea of hitting the um, the bottlenecks. And then the third one is is making your business be a great place to work, that the investment you make in these people in year one, year 12, they are so much more better business people. And they make so much more uh, bigger inputs to what the business is. It sounds like you're 
you're which which I appreciate you're moving more towards kind of like the uh, the psychology and the mentality of the person and how they look at making these improvements and people by their nature they want to kind of grab on to the way that they've always done things and say for my job security I need to keep doing things the way that I've always been doing it yeah, um, but exactly. what you're saying is the opposite for your job security you need to look at things differently and say how do I improve the company so that the company gets better and I can retain my security at the company for myself and the company. Exactly. Uh, early on in the years, um, people self-selected themselves to leave. You right. know, and you know, a, a continue a continuous improvement process is part of our ISO plan as well, right? So yes. we have to fulfill that requirement of the certification, right? So and it has to be documented. So I, I, I get it. So about how many continuous improvement processes do you fulfill? Probably where, you know, it's so hard to say because there's it is. it's the culmination Documented, of a lot of right. uh, a lot of little ones. We actually don't document them. We did do ISO and got ISO certified, and I went into it with we're going to do ISO and we're going to get all of the benefits out of ISO that they pronounce. We're not going to do it for the certificate. So we did it hard for three years, improved in that sort of stuff. I didn't get any new sales for it. I didn't. Right, nobody right, made, didn't right. make a decision on it. Right. But we squeezed absolutely everything out of it that we thought we could get, and then I think we went to another level. And so we don't do the ISO per se and document it. We do look at our vital few metrics that we have, and then we have our measurements that flow up to those vital few that support them. Now, you, you had mentioned to us previously during our discussions that you actually tie your um, your bonus incentive plan with your team to some of these continuous improvement initiatives. How exactly does that work? Well, so there might be three major metrics that we have. So one would be um, our profit, obviously, and then intake to the business revenue because uh, that's what you have to have. Intake is, is your sales. sales. Sales, our revenue intake. And then we have our customer ready on time. Oh, um, good, so good metric, yeah. You, you want to have diametrically opposed uh, metrics because, you know, if you just go for profit at the expense of the investor and the uh, – customer that's that's not a long-term goal so how that plans everybody has what we call their bip sheet which is their bonus incentive plan it has every them, individual has every an individual bip in, sheet they have an individual bip sheet and so that is um has all the calculations on it and they can make a sub base base or shoot the lights out or stlo we call it and so the we Lots have of acronyms here who comes <laughs> up with these acronyms yeah. is that you or david he shall remain unnamed. <laughs> but <laughs> so it's me. I'm terrible at it. So, um, but once in, in every plant meeting, we go over all of the metrics and we share all the financials with everybody in the business in our monthly employee meetings. Everybody can see exactly where they're at on uh, their bonus. And so it used to always be a big mystery when the books would be closed and in December, what was the bonus going to be and that sort of stuff. Now, everybody can calculate it in December and we pay them out in February. They already know what their number is. Oh, really? And, and what, what percentage of that number is, you know, a group um, versus an individual or is it all individualized? So the three metric, the three big metric ones 
probably uh, 85% of the people have those as their metrics and then one kind of team metric underneath that. And then some managers have a fifth metric, which is key to the business long term. Okay. So the, the those small initiatives that they're making to continuously improve the company, those are being tracked on their BIP sheet and, and, and they either get those initiatives done or they don't get them done and that contributes to their to their bonus. Is that correct? Yes. So they they have measurements that support the mega metrics or the vital few and those are talked about in their meetings and uh, uh, on, a, on a department-wide basis. Okay and does everybody pretty much get all of their continuous improvement initiatives done? No not necessarily not so we if we don't make the goal then we don't pay okay so you know if we miss it by a dollar we don't or if we miss it by a percentage or whatever we don't pay out what it is is each individual person has a bonus pool number and that is variable across the whole company. So, And so let's just say that somebody gets 85% of their BIP or their bonus incentive plan, then they got 85% of their bonus pool. Okay. You know what, Phil, I want to just uh, bring into this conversation a little bit about the use of castings and the continuous improvement process. Um, oh my God! Thank I know, you. I know. <laughs> well, we want. We this is kind of what brought up this conversation, and um, and you had shared with me before we hit the record button about you know castings and what we believe, and it's kind of an antiquated way. I mean, I'm sure there is still reasons why OEMs use castings in the manufacturing process. However, my experience, and I believe you can vet me on this, was years ago, 10, 15 years ago, we were buying a considerable amount of raw sand gray iron castings from a couple different foundries across America. What was happening is that my customer would say, okay, Jim, here's an order for 24 of these pieces, you're going to need to procure these uh, sand castings from this foundry. Go ahead. So I'd order them. It would take 12 weeks to get the sand castings. Then we'd get them in, and that you've got this funky piece that you don't know how you're in the heck you're going to hold it. So you've got to make this really strategic fixturing process. Once you get past that, you put it in the machine and you start cutting. Let's say you're five, six, seven, eight hours into the machining process and bam, there's a sand hole. There's porosity in the casting. It breaks your end mill. you got this big, ugly hole in that. The customer's not going to accept that. Now what? Well, I only ordered 24 pieces. I've got to sell him 24 finished high-precision machine component parts for his job. It just it, it wasn't making sense to me. So I went back to the customer and said, hey, why do you, do you really need this? I can get A36 material in like two days. I can have it ground square on four sides. I can take that piece, throw it into a vise. We have cutting tool nowadays that can remove material yeah, hog it out 400 percent faster than we could years ago with high speed two fluid end mills we've got cam technology that we don't need to do any sophisticated programming you just cut the contour you want with these high-tech tools it's a lot 
cleaner. It's a huge continual improvement process. And we did. And they, they said, yes, a resounding yes came back to me. And we started doing that years ago. And, um, it's been it's been highly successful. And I know our customers been you know happy that we at least offered to do that. We were thinking outside the box. How about you? Why don't you share? Yeah, your I mean story? you were so passionate about this, you gave it a name, right? Yeah, we had the uh, KTC. It uh, was there's another uh, Ackerman. It was the uh, kill the castings mission, and so um, there are castings that we will not be able to replace. But we've got. Sure. Um, you know, the hard spots, the voids, the draft angles, you got to inventory it, you got to purchase it, you got to pay for the stupid container to come to your building and at, at 25 bucks a piece. And so we can get our steel. We typically that stupid container. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> what ends up happening is, is that uh, we went on a mission to design out and with new machining, just like you de- described it, we can end up hogging. I love that word. We can hog out of uh, uh, base material the shape and, and right. with dynamic machining. Yes. And then we have a twin spindle five axis uh, uh, Mazak that we're using. And, um, and then with our fab shop, we've actually our columns and bases. So we had a lot of legacy sand castings associated with the business. And we've been periodically or very systematically and in a driven process driving those out of the business and having full, full control of uh, of that machining. So that was all our ability to do that was because of continuous improvement, increasing the open capacity to be able to take on those missions and now have that all that machining inside or all that fabrication inside. So that is an offshoot of it. Another prime. Plus the customer is going to get a much better product exactly. at the end. It's going to be much more precision. There's not going to be any guesswork whether or not there's going to be porosity in that particular part. We as machinists are going to be able to hold the tolerances that much better. It's it's just a win win all around. Well, I think for the metalworking nation is if you're currently machining castings, or if you know people that uh, are have castings in their business and stuff, you should hone your skills to be able to sit there and engineer and be able to look at what a apples-to-apples type replacement would be. But you're going to have to work with customers that understand total cost. You know, you have to sit there and, and value or not value uh, the cash you got to lay out, the inventory, the standard run quantities you got to buy these things in, and uh, if they can, if they can make, if they can connect those dots, then you are a higher value added supplier. Mm-hmm. Yep. Give us some examples of some other continuous improvement um, initiatives that you've they've put together that have made a significant contribution to the company. So one of them that you mentioned, uh, another one was insourcing um, some of your processes, but insourcing processes, kill the castings, what else has really contributed to driving um, just the profitability of Orbit Forum? On that front, this is a perfect example of it. We used to have to buy uh, fiberglass uh, guards for our impact riveters to guard the flywheels. And what we ended up doing was is um, every time we got them, they were a little bit out of shape. We, you know, they pulled them hot out of the mold or whatever. And it took two hours to fit up to a machine, an hour to two hours to fit up to a machine. Very, very frustrating. And then no two uh, guards were exactly the same. And so with us having our fabrication in-house, our Amada laser, our Amada uh, CNC bender, we ended up crafting the guard out of steel. And we will never buy another fiberglass guard. 
And so that's something that, again, I keep coming back to this with freed up capacity. You start to go on the hunt for those things that you can do under your roof. If you have a good team and people that want to engineer things out and fill up that capacity, that's just like feeding the beast. How do you bring these um, these different initiatives to the table? Is, do you have formalized meetings where people make suggestions? What What is the process that you go through in order to not only vet, but also say, this is what we're going to go after as a company, or this is what you're going to go after as an individual? Well, in the foundational years, we did have QoS meetings, and um, uh, what, what, define what QoS, oh, for, QoS for, the, for those people that don't know. Ford created it to be able to grade all of their uh, suppliers on a very systematic way. So it is the quality operating system, and um, we initially did that with foundational. Now we only form those type of meetings when we really go after a product or a process that, uh, like when we do the um, Kill the Castings mission, that is in our materials QoS meeting. And it's driven out of that with measuring it. And then also we've got action items associated. So we've got the next five that we want to kill. And then we report on the progress that's associated with it. So it's pretty it's pretty systematic. I think the results are, you know, in uh, all of this is uh, talking about activity, but the results are is, is that We've significantly lowered our materials cost. When we were uh, half the size we were right now, we had $3 million worth of finished goods. Now we're twice the size, and we have um, a third of the finished goods inventory that we used to have because we can make it. We can make it you right You can make away. it just in time. You can make yeah. it that much quicker. We can make it. So we yeah, don't. you're not ordering that fiberglass um, cover. You're fabricating it yourself in a day. Exactly. Or however long it takes. Exactly. And so, and then obviously um, falling along with that, with the uh, continuous improvement of action of only doing business with that share our principles and firing those customers. I love that, Phil. That's awesome. Firing the customers that didn't have a partnership uh, strategy, that we've been able to convert a lot of that energy that we used to do, satiating people that really were mean-spirited and looked at us being just, you know, we're going to win and you're going to lose. We turned all that energy internally, and um, so that has greatly helped our profitability. That's great. So these are mostly, um, I guess, I guess you would say, department level initiatives to to continuously improve the company. You mentioned the QoS within your materials department. Would your machining department have their own, um, you know, continuous improvement project? What What would that look like? Well, right now, one of their major metrics is um, cost per part. So they're looking at ways to reduce the cost via setups, people running two machines, and we're we're kind of a unique little shop because we have. We machine about 90,000 pieces of something a year. Right. Our standard run quantity is typically three pieces or less. So we're setting up all the time. It's, it's not much different than what we do at Car Machine and Tool, Phil. But you know what You know what I see is in my business model type machine shop is automation, whatever that means to you. If you can automate a process in the shop, whether it's through work holding or palletization, instead of having three to four setups, if you can get that in one time, one and done, we call it, uh, that significantly helps the setup process. Well, you're kind of jogging my memory because this is going back a little bit. But we, so we have standard product 
And so we created Family of Parts, which helped with uh, ganging types of setups that right. we occurred. But then we went to, and it's okay to say Chick Vices, because it used to be, it was a murder mystery every setup. And we're setting it up all the time. When we were only doing 40 or 50% of our machining, now we're doing about 100% of it. So we've got our setups on a majority of our standard parts down to 15 minutes. We have pictures of uh, the right. setup. We have certified programs for the setup. We have our chick vices and the jaws are certified and over on a shelf in that. We've done away with all Stop. of that. What do you mean about your jaws are certified? So what we have is... Uh, um, did you like how Jaws. I did that, by the way? I did. Stop, right there. <laughs> I, you said something that I didn't understand, and I, I wanted a clarification. Well, we have um, probably $100,000 worth of JAWS that are very explicit for our standard parts. And so they oh, are okay. categorized over there. And okay. so we don't recut our JAWS every time that we're setting up sure. a part or whatever. Your soft JAWS. Our soft JAWS. Yeah, okay. And so those are for our vices. Right, right, right. So... Right. You know, what's really nice about our product is is our parts, when we machine them, they go right over to the machine build area. So we have a machinist is responsible for the quality. But then our customer is machine build. And so it has to go right over there. And I'll have to say that uh, we have a material review board that used to be every day for several hours looking at issues. Now it's Wednesday morning, 15 minutes and we're having this ferocity of 90,000 parts going through this thing. And we might have seven jobs on the uh, red table to review and make disposition of. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, we're we're doing that type of thing for our customers all the time. I mean, they, they could be using, you know, a, a boring system that could be replaced by like a quick change system that doesn't require the amount of setup or a drilling operation where you just change the tip out. I mean, there's so many ways to continuously improve that, that process. And I think incrementally for, i mean incrementally it's just little, just little things little things that you can just 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 make a change if you don't ever make a change you're going to eventually fall behind absolutely and but what one and of the, the competition is certainly making changes oh no doubt about it and in one of one of the things that um that we found is that where you need to look back to is look back to what does the data tell you, you know? So you got to be looking at the data of what does it cost for me to produce this part or how, what are the, what are the setup times you need to be tracking those things. And we've been working with customers to, to do that very same thing. And that's what results in saving them $150,000 because you've made a couple little incremental changes to a couple different jobs. But if you do that in a systematic way, it, it delivers, you know, big results. And, and with, with our standard product, when we make a change, we that's the gift that keeps on giving. So just like we got uh, we got adjustable boring bars, we used to buy a very explicit boring bars. Now we went to, and then we have a laser setup for the boring bar. We have a uh, scanner and a and a CMM machine that's portable that we can move out and around and about in the shop and stuff. We used to have to recut and remeasure when we did our electrical panels for our equipment. Now we just went and on our laser cutter we cut out patterns for all of the standard um, um, panels for the cutouts that we have. And now what used to be an hour and a half measuring job is a 15-minute um, tap, drill out, and cut type process. So it's Sounds the cul- to me like a case study. Yeah, uh, I, I mean, even, you, you, I mean, there's just so many little things. I mean, even 
if you make an investment in in your tooling such that you could preset your tooling ahead mm-hmm. of time, that way you can, when you um, break a cutting tool, you could change out the tool holder in a matter of a minute, you're back up and running as opposed to 15 minutes that it, that it might take to otherwise, you know, set the tool back up again. And that's that, I mean, that results in a lot of, um, a lot of money in, in, for the bottom line. You have to, um, have a workforce that wants to improve. Right. And, th- and, and so, that's, that's where it sounds like you wanted to start with. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Sometimes that's a roadblock. Well, and that's why I said, that's why I liked where in the beginning of the conversation, we talked to Phil and what is the basis for their continuous improvement. And you said it's, it's that workplace security. And I, and I like that. And I think that's something that um, manufacturers aren't necessarily starting with. They're not necessarily starting with their people, you know, and I think that's where you always have to start with. They need to understand why they're doing this. So, yeah, before we uh, part and uh, get on with uh, the rest of our day here, I want to I share with the Metalworking Nation that if I have validated some of my continuous improvement process through case studies that are available on downloads on the Car Machine website, just go to carmachine.com, go to What's New, and I have three case studies there that have been um, improved pr- uh, processes that uh, have been significant in in our small business, and uh, if if you'd like to, you're going to have to give me your email address. Uh, I may send you a couple emails, but um, at the end of the day, to get that case study, you're going to have to at least give me that. So, at the end of the day, what what I'd like to just share with the Metalworking Nation is: don't let this become overwhelming to you that you're going to have to do it like Jason, like Phil, like David, and I um, all reiterated. It's as simple as just making small little incremental um, process improvements in your facility. Uh, Even if you change from where you put your uh, drill and tap cart or where where you move so so your employees aren't running back and forth from the shop, um, just document small little challenges that you're having, get rid of Get rid of anything that is uh, can 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 save a couple of minutes, and I think you'll start building on those incremental improvements, and uh, you'll find out that uh, it's going to be a win win at the end of the day. Yeah, absolutely, and and I just I, I once again reiterate. You know, I love that Phil said you got to start with the people and you got to start with um, this is about the security of the company. And I think that that's just a great basis to, to stand by. And and you have to be willing to, you know, communicate that to your team day in, day out. They're not going to quite understand it right away. But if you have those conversations repeatedly and let them understand the reason why you're making the improvements, um, you're going to see the, the return on that, you know, in the future. You bet. With that, bam. This podcast exists to improve the manufacturing industry. We want to hear from you, the owners, managers, leaders, and engineers from the metalworking nation. What ideas do you want to share and what keeps you up at night? We want you to take something away from this podcast that you can use to improve your company, your team, and yourself. So let us know what you want to hear and we'll see you next time on Making Chips. Everything is so fast-paced nowadays. It's like we even need to accelerate networking. I know. Well, it's all about cutting through the fat and meeting people that are impactful from the very beginning. I don't want to meet 
a banker after I fly to a location. I want to meet somebody that's relevant. A manufacturing and, leader. Absolutely. That's you what want we're to meet talking the right to. manufacturing leaders. Right. And where we're, can we do that at? At the manufacturing meeting in Doral, Miami, Florida, March 7th through 10th. It's hosted by AMT and the NTMA, and there's early bird pricing. Did you know that, Jason? They- I, I did know that. Go to the themfgmeeting2018.com, and we will hopefully see you there March 7th through the 10th. Very good.